Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, and today we are joined by ESPN's Jenna Lane. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. And as always, we'll just get started here with how about you, Jenna, just in your own words, kind of take us through your journey through sports media from when you first kind of realized that this is something that you wanted to do to where you are now covering the Bucks for ESPN. So my path to this was really unique because most reporters, when they're making the climb, they're usually moving all across the country, going to different outlets, covering different beats. Mm-hmm. But for me, I stayed in the same spot covering the same team for a bunch of different jobs. And that team would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I graduated from the University of South Florida in 2007. I was a cheerleader there. I was a Scripps Howard intern. I spent two training camps already covering the Bucks, So it was very comfortable and familiar with me for me. Mm-hmm. And I took a job then with Pewter Report. I got let go in 2008 one year after and that also coincided with the economy taking a nosedive mm-hmm. newspapers were closing up shop all across the country tv stations were really changing their model about the ways they were going about doing things including how they were approaching sports coverage and um i really really struggled to find a job so i lived off of savings trying to find a job and i freelanced i took a lot of odd jobs in the process Uh, me being so young, my confidence took a nosedive too, because I, I felt like a failure and it was one of the first times in my life I ever felt that way. So I couldn't find a journalism job, but I took a job doing search engine optimization for a web design company because I wanted to find a way that I could still grow as a writer and write on deadline every day. That was really important to me. So I did that for five years. And on top of that, I freelanced in sports every chance I got. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a writer, I also did video. I shot video for everything from like youth soccer to even like theme parks. (laughs) I worked as a production assistant when the Super Bowl was last year for NFL Network. Um, And I I like to joke that I even took out Adam Schefter's trash at one point. (laughs) Uh, When the Super Bowl, yeah, that was when the Super Bowl was here. Um, I... I did local radio. I was a blogger for NFL.com. They had a partnership with Sports Fan Live. Yahoo's the post game. I wrote some features for them. Uh, USA Today. I became a correspondent for Fox Sports One. And I also, on top of all that, I I like to joke about this because I uh, at one point I sold lobster rolls during the uh, World Series for the <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays. So I was a food vendor there. Which that was kind of hard because I knew how badly I wanted to get back into this. And I felt like, man, like, and I know it was early on in my career, but I was just like, man, I, I really wish I could be down there doing this. I should be down there doing this. So um, that was, I had a full circle moment. I'll tell you about in a little bit here um, where things kind of came together full circle, but um, I left the SEO job and I became a full-time reporter and radio host doing news. For News Talk Florida. I did sports as well, but um, I was waking up at 3.30 in the morning doing news every day, and um, I became a sideline reporter for the University of South Florida for their football program. That was their first winning season under Willie Taggart, um, and I was still covering the Bucks while this whole thing is going on, so I was literally, um, I would get home sometimes at like 3 o'clock in the morning from these away games, 
And then I'd have to turn around, get a couple hours of sleep, and then go to uh, Bucks home games at Raymond James Stadium that next day. So wasn't getting a whole lot of sleep then, <laughs> but um, it paid off in 2016 because uh, ESPN came calling. And it was pretty neat because um, I wrote in green and gold glitter on my college graduation cap, ESPN, because that was all I ever wanted to do. All I ever wanted to do. I mean, I, I literally did not have a backup plan because I had my heart set on doing that. Um, and I even, I packed that cap with me in my suitcase when I went up to Bristol to interview. I had to interview with like 14 different people. It was crazy. Um, and nine, day, nine uh, years to the day um, of wearing that graduation cap, my college graduation, I got offered the job to do this. And so I've been here ever since. And um, I just absolutely love it. And um, that full circle moment I was telling you about, it was really cool. When the Rays were in the playoffs uh, mm-hmm. just a few months ago, I got to pinch it on some baseball coverage. And it was pretty neat that the last time I was working, quote unquote working, uh, a postseason game there, I was selling ro- lobster rolls. And with this, I got to be down on the field and doing what I love. Yeah, that is uh, quite a story of perseverance, and I can guarantee you that you're the first person I've talked to for this podcast that did SEO writing for a while. <laughs> so that's fun. But uh, I think, you know, you like you said, you said you had a unique journey through sports journalism, but I think that especially in today's sort of job and uh, kind of how the industry is and the lack of jobs available, that there will be a lot of young journalists who do something very similar to what you did, where they're just taking on some sort of writing job that doesn't really have anything to do with sports and doing a bunch of freelance stuff on the side. So my question to you would be, I mean, you know, you said you got low at certain points. How did you just fight and keep going as far as keeping your hopes up and knowing that your opportunity will come while you were working as a freelancer and doing a search engine optimization writing? That's a great question. Um, and sometimes I still ask myself that because I literally had no confidence in myself, no faith in myself at all. And as you know, if you're going to do this for a living, including getting up in front of people, thousands of people on TV, mm-hmm. you've got to believe in yourself. And it took me a really long time to do that. I think that's why it took me those several years to recover from that and to get back into working sports full time because I just I didn't believe in myself. And it, it just really took having such a supportive group of people around me family members. I mean, I remember one time my dad yelling at me, not like yelling at me, but kind of yelling with me, like, what do I have to do to get you to believe in yourself? And I, I I just, I think just the more that my passion grew for this and my desire grew for this, and I'm reaching out to all these different people, uh, trying to build sources and stuff. I think my confidence honestly grew with the more conversations I had with people that, that I really respected and admired, whether it be people in the business, um, on the journalism side, or even people that work for teams, like Mm. friends that are scouts, which to me, I have so much respect and admiration for scouts because they're out there doing all this grunt work. They're on the road so much throughout the year and they don't get much credit for it, but they're putting in these long, crazy hours. And to me, they're the smartest people in the world, right? Like those are the people I want to learn from and I want to be like them. And it honestly took a few friendships with those folks to convince me, maybe I do know what I'm talking about. Like maybe I do, maybe I, maybe I still could do this. So I I just, I really owe it to the people around me, honestly, that kept my spirits up and kept me lifted because uh, I don't think without, without them, I don't, I don't think I would have been able to continue doing this. I really owe it to them because that's the thing normally, like in order, you really got to believe in yourself first. And it it really took those folks before I could believe in myself and, and put myself back out there again. Absolutely. 
and I mean, now you're, you know, like you said, now you got a major, you know, you're on TV, you're writing for ESPN covering the Bucks, but you spent a lot of those years doing a lot of writing and then you launched right into television and, you know, being like behind the mic as a reporter. How did you find that transition? Well, I was a broadcast major in school. So, um, and I was also in school right when Convergence was really getting big. And they didn't have a multimedia program like some of these other schools have now, um, but it was a multimedia journalism class that allowed me to, you know, I was already getting in front of the camera. I had already done producer work in school, but it allowed me to write. It allowed me to do still photography. Um, and that was really great because it, it, it allows you to, to kind of try on other hats to see what you're good at. And even if you don't pursue those, you just gain so much respect and admiration for the people that are wearing them. And you can also, you learn things, uh, you can speak their language a little bit better. Um, for instance, I was, I was talking to a producer about putting together a script, taking a story that I wrote, and how do we make this into uh, a digital story that we could, you know, like with video and things like that. And, and you know, he didn't need to explain to me what, you know, SOT meant, like S-O-T. I knew because I've done this uh, and I've, I've, you know, written I've written scripts for, for TV stations and things like that. But I just think the biggest thing is that we really should get away from saying, I'm a print journalist, I'm a TV journalist. And I know if you work for a TV station, naturally that's what you're going to be doing. But, you know, we really need to think of ourselves as storytellers and think mm -hmm. of how best can we tell a story because some stories or some aspects of stories cater to different platforms better. You know, sometimes you you writing these stories and you're like, I really need visuals to make this happen. Maybe this works better if we do it as a TV package as opposed to doing a story. And the beauty of working for a place like ESPN, and, and obviously there are tons of other outlets that do this, that have TV, that have web capabilities, even if they don't have TV, but they have, you know, production, TV production in-house, is that, you know, you can, you can reveal, you can unveil a story um, online and at the same time it's like you can also do it on TV and you're kind of cross promoting that way which I think is great because some people some people don't like to do a lot of reading and I get that and some people also maybe don't like to watch a lot of videos because maybe they're at work and they're afraid that their sound's going to go off and they're going to get in trouble with their bosses so you want to cater to all those different types of people and, and reach them in different ways yeah there's a lot of different avenues to do that and now like you were like you said you know it was a long journey um but then you ended up full circle, ESPN hat, the whole thing. What were those first few days like on the job for you? You had worked so hard to get to that point. You ended up at ESPN, the exact place that you always wanted to be. I mean, what, what were your first opening days like? Well, one of the things about ESPN is there's not a lot of hand-holding, at least not my experience. Yeah. They want you to hit the ground running. And part of that was because I didn't have to move anywhere, although I moved closer to the team facility. I was commuting like 45 minutes to an hour every time I would go to the team facility before. But once I took this job, I said, I'm getting as close as I can. So I found a place that was like 12 minutes away from the facility. I got it specifically for that location. Um, and so uh, doing that, like that helped a little bit, but there's so much, there's so much stuff that I think you you're here for a long enough time, you kind of forget how different it is in other places. You know, when we're doing stories after games, people are already watching the games, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't really need a recap unless you're living outside of market. But nowadays people have an NFL Sunday ticket, you know, yeah. they can watch the red zone channel, they watch highlights. Mm -hmm. So 
really our job is to take it a step further and to start answering those questions right when the game ends. And that is, what does this mean? And put this in the proper framework of the season. And honestly, it took me a while. That was the hardest thing for me to learn when I first got doing this job. And the thing that helped me the most was I have a couple of friends that work in uh, baseball as scouts. And we talked about like how they prepare for their jobs and what some of the things um, are that they do to kind of, you know, because they've got to learn everything about a team within a matter of like six days, right? Some of, some of them, it's even shorter than that. And they've got to, they've got to basically tell their teams, all right, this is what this team is right here. And then the coaches formulate a game plan from that. Um, and so they were telling me some of the things that helped them prepare for that, you know, and, and the types of writing that helped them. And mm-hmm. so that's when I started to kind of think of my job a little bit differently and, and really, you know, don't just tell, don't just tell your readers what happened right then and there and that game, explain it in the context and the framework of the entire season or even a, a player's entire career, you know, with Jameis Winston every week, it was always about those interceptions and those turnovers because he was in many ways he would, he would do such brilliant things on the field, but then he also, would, would have these turnover issues. And so the whole season you're watching and, and the, the big question, and obviously we had that question answered was what are they going to do with him for next year? So um, I think that was the biggest adjustment for me though, was, was learning to write in that way. Uh, and also just learning to write for a, a bigger audience with more eyeballs and, yeah. and just becoming a better storyteller with that. And I really got to credit my, my first editor at ESPN, John Roberts, because uh, without him, I don't think I would still be here because he really helped me learn how to be a good storyteller. Yeah, absolutely. You're definitely one of the best over there, in my humble opinion. So, oh, now- gosh, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to have to send you a check in the mail. I don't know the the logistics of that right now. With, with yeah. I mean, I think we're all still receiving mail with the coronavirus situation. <laughs> if, 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 if the U.S. Postal Service is still working, I will make sure to send you a check in the, in the mail for that. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. I look forward to receiving it in about eight weeks, probably at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, like we just, you know, just were talking about, coronavirus pandemic has grown in severity over the last few weeks, and a lot has changed for everybody in the world. And, you know, as a journalist in particular, journalists, both of us, our jobs really rely on a lot of face to face interaction and making connections and that sort of thing. So, just from that perspective, how has the situation around you sort of impacted how you do your job well for one and this was kind of before i don't know if we have anybody else going out into the field right now at espn but but prior to a lot of these states issuing lockdowns um shutting down non-essential work activity i was over at the buccaneers facility and this was before this was after the news broke that that brady was signing with the bucks but before it became official and so you know um with that, you know, you don't have players that are going into the team facility. We weren't even allowed to go into the team facility. There's a loophole in that players who are injured, recovering from injuries can go into the facility and things like that for medical treatment, but we're not allowed in there. So, you know, we were outside. Um, I really got to hand it to uh, our, our crew. We were outside 6.30 in the morning until 6.30 at night, probably a little later than 6.30. That's when we started packing up. And we couldn't go inside and it's like 89 degrees outside. And so, you know, every time I'm, uh, we're getting ready for a hit, you know, I've got a, and thankfully there's a guard shack um, right in front of the property and they allowed us to use the restroom. So when I had to go do a, a hit, I would go in there, touch up makeup and all that stuff. Uh, it, I know it sounds very trivial, but 
you know, when you're, when your face is the product and it's part of the overall presentation of things, you don't want to have hairs out of place and things like that. So you want to make sure that you look presentable as best as you can. They were nice enough to let us do that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So we, we, um, you know, we, we used a lot of hand wipes and things like that, but we were out in front of the facility in between takes, you know, we're sitting in our car, just trying to stay cool with the AC. I'm doing conference calls with my editors. I have my camera or my, my laptop, not my camera. I'm not using the camera anymore. I have my laptop there and I'm, and I'm writing and I'm kind of following some of the free agent news. Um, so it was, it was interesting doing that, but, uh, you know, I got to say the whole time we're doing it, um, you know, there was, it, it didn't take much for you to have perspective yeah. because as you know, with what's going on in the world right now and right in front of the team's facility there um or right behind the across the street from the team's facility so it would have been like right over my shoulder from where i was doing those live hits is a hospital a very large hospital st joseph and then about 100 yards away from us there's also a, a covid test site where people can go the drive through and they can get tested that way and the whole time like i'm doing this i I'm thinking to myself, you know, I literally, the only thing I have to worry about is, is where am I going to go to touch up my hair and my makeup? Right. And like these people are, you know, on the front lines of this. And my sister is an intensive care unit nurse, not at that hospital at a different one, but you know, she's caring for these very sick patients. And, um, you feel almost guilty because wow, like my job feels so easy compared to what they're doing. Um, and I, I often say like I would take her position in a heartbeat because we're so close. And, um, you know, the one thing that's kind of helped me through this a little bit is that um, when she's been on her way to work and on her way home the last few days, all she wants to do is talk about Tom Brady and Mm -hmm. Giselle. She's not talking about, um, and of course they can't say a whole lot, but you know, you can hear it in their voice when they're scared with what's happening at work or when they've had a bad day, you can sense it. Um, there was, there hasn't been a whole lot of that the last few days. Um, Michael Pittman, I covered him my first year covering the Bucks, and we've kept in touch all these years. And he's had a family member in the hospital in a coma right now because of COVID-19. And he texted me the other day and he said that seeing me on TV made him smile. Probably had more to do with Tom Brady, <laughs> but just, um, being able to play like a small role in helping people through this same with first responders, the people that are working in grocery stores right now, that are also people that are stuck at home jobless, the parents that are now suddenly having to homeschool their kids, like being able to, I guess, help get them get through their days by being that little bit of distraction by giving them that little bit of sports news, even though sports, they aren't going on right now. Um, it's an honor to be able to do that, um, to give them that, that break. And I, uh, I, I really, uh, I got to applaud the folks that I work with on the, the TV side of things. Also my editors on the digital side, because they've been just so flexible with this, creative, it, you know, troubleshooting all the different technological barriers that we might have with, you know, suddenly having all of our people now relegated to working from home, you know, we're using our cell phone cameras and we're using apps to go live. 
uh, I just really got to applaud them for being able to do that. Um, and it's, it's been cool to kind of be part of that. And again, it's just, it's an honor to be able to help people right now through this difficult thing. It feels like a small contribution compared to what some of the other people in our world are doing right now, but we all do play a role. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to play my role the best that I can. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing, right? We said sports are trivial in the grand scheme of things, but it's almost because they are trivial that everybody wants to focus on it and why everybody appreciates it as one of those distractions from everything that's going on, even when things aren't as bad as they are right now. Definitely. Yeah. And I can remember as a sports fan myself, there are plenty of times in my life where sports have been that escape for me. And I always try to remember that, you know, sometimes you get these crazy responses on Twitter from fans, but you have to remind yourself, okay, yeah, like this person may be really intense right now, but what are they going through in their personal lives to where this matters so much to them? I mean, I, I grew up in this area, right? And so I remembered a time when before I was a journalist and I, I take the objectivity part of my job very seriously. So I, I had to shed the fan hat. But when I was growing up, I can remember times where what the Bucks did on Sunday was all that mattered for me. And that would truly dictate how my week felt. Now, granted, when you're younger, you don't have a lot of things that you have to worry about. But you know, I remember in high school, for instance, my brother-in-law, and this was after 9-11, he was in the army. And I lived in constant fear that he was going to be going off to war. And the Bucks, when they won the Super Bowl, that season really played a role in, in just giving me just a little bit of, of reprieve from that worry. It, it kind of helped me through it. Yeah, it's um, I mean, I know like a lot of sports fans and just like you did right there, I use sporting events to kind of mark moments in my life almost. And just it's just almost bizarre to me that they're like for the next four months, the or however long it's going to be, the sporting moment that will be like marking this experience for me is the lack, the complete lack thereof. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it, it definitely is. But, you know, again, we're, we're finding, I think, ways to get through this. Um, I think if there is a positive to any of it, it's that, um, you have people that are spending, I think, more time with their families. You know, I go for walks in the evening because I can't work out of the gym right now. Um, but I go for walks in the evening and I just see families outdoors spending a lot of time together with each other. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, self-included, and I don't know if it's because I talk for a living and I write for a living and I have to interview people, but it's like I spend a lot of time alone when I come home from work and it's made me realize how much I took for granted being able to have that face-to-face -face human contact with people, right? Like I always try to draw something from when, when something has happened, something bad, what can I learn from it? And I think that's one of the biggest things for me is just how much I took for granted. I mean, electronic communication has been a lifesaver through all this, but nothing takes the place of being able to connect with people face-to-face. -face. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, if anything, that's what this time will do is remind all of us of the things that are important in life. But to move on to the most exciting thing to happen in Tampa Bay, in, uh, <laughs> Tom Brady is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So as somebody who's covered the team for a long time now, grew up rooting for him, all that good stuff, when did you start to think that Brady coming to town was a real possibility, and what was your initial reaction when it seemed to be official? 
Well, you know, at the NFL scouting combine, um, I had heard that they were going to make a run at him. But at the same time, you hear tons of things at the NFL combine. I also heard that the Raiders wanted to make a run at him. I mean, that was, that was what a lot of those folks were talking about there. So you take those bits of information and you jot them down, you put them in your back pocket, but you also know realistically like, okay, how many, and I had a list of about four guys that the Bucks were interested in. Brady was number one. Uh, I knew that they also had interest in Teddy Bridgewater. I knew that, that Philip Rivers was somewhere in there, but, but at the combine, you also really felt like, yeah, he's definitely going to Indianapolis. And then Ryan Tannehill. And of course, Tannehill returned to Tennessee and then the dominoes started to fall from there. And you know, leading up to that, you know, because there's, of course, a, a little bit of time, a couple weeks in between combine and free agency, you hear more and more rumblings. Mm -hmm. And you, you kind of don't want to believe it, though, because you're like, all right, yeah. Because realistically, it's like a guy like Tom Brady, who has won six Super Bowls, there are very few guys in that Bucks locker room that have even been to the postseason, like once, let alone the Super Bowl. And so you're just thinking to yourself, well, why would you want to come to Tampa? I mean, they've had like two winning seasons in the last decade. That just doesn't make sense, right? And, and those things just don't happen here. Plus, the Bucks have been left at the altar so many times. And I know that this was really tough on fans having to wait because they heard that Tampa Bay was his top choice and, and they hear that it's happening. But it takes a while because you got to, you know, Penn has to hit paper. They've got to do the physical. And they remember that Bill Parcells twice stood them up. They remember Bo Jackson, and again, some of this was the Bucks' fault uh, with the whole Bo Jackson situation, but, you know, he basically stiff-armed them, even though <laughs> Hugh Culverhouse kind of tried to mess with his uh, eligibility to play baseball. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there was just a lot of uncertainty there, but the more people I talked to, sources that I really trust, the more I started to hear that it was a possibility, and so I had to start wrapping my mind around that, and I'm not going to lie. It was a little scary for me because it's like, wow, you realize the number of eyeballs that yeah. are suddenly going to be on you and your work and what comes with that and everything. But you know, then I got excited when I found out it was happening and just like, yes, I'm ready for the challenge. And already I'm seeing a complete change in, in my work, the expectations for my work, yeah. uh, the type of work I'm now doing it's all changed a lot, even just in the last week or so. In what manner? Well, so a lot of it would be volume. I'm writing more. Mm -hmm. Also, a lot more TV. And I'm excited about that part of it, I think, the most, because I really like TV. It's where I'm most comfortable. And I feel like it gives me a greater opportunity to connect with, with fans and readers and followers. Absolutely. And I try to do that a lot on Twitter and things like that. And I try to have that come through in my writing. But I think when you're on television and you can look people in the eye, it makes your relationship with people feel so much more personal. Mm -hmm. And I've just always tried to be like that. I've always been a very face-to-face -face person. And um, I mentioned eyeballs. Tom Brady's a generational talent, arguably the greatest of all time so much of his story's already been written and already been captured by the history books. It's been captured really, really well. So, you know, I think a lot of the journalists that have covered him before me, they, they set the bar incredibly high. Mm. My colleague, Mike Reese, who covers the Patriots for ESPN, he gets to the stadium. We always kind of joke about how early he gets to the stadium, but he gets there before everybody because he wants to make sure that those fans 
that that want to see Tom Brady's arrival. He's making sure that he is there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just such a huge sense of responsibility overall with covering a guy like Tom Brady because of everything he's accomplished. You know, you want to honor that story. You want to make sure that that when he's in the midst of one of those game-winning drives or um, maybe even when he doesn't have the same level of success that he's had and he suffers a loss, you better find the right words to capture it because it really matters to people. When people tell their grandkids about Tom Brady, you know, you're part of helping preserve those moments that they hold on to. Mm. And um, it's also really important for me too, to make this distinction clear. And that is that I am not about idol worshiping, Mm -hmm. even though most would argue he's the greatest of all time. Uh, But I've never been that type of reporter. I believe in treating everybody the same with the same level, level of respect and that it's just really about authenticity. You know, you want to be able to tell that story in the most real way possible. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's a huge responsibility to be able to do that. And I think it's also, I mean, obviously, this is an unprecedented situation across almost all sports. A guy of that stature leaving the only place he's ever been. I mean, how excited are you for that challenge? I'm really excited about it. You know, again, I think it, it, it's, pushing me to grow as a journalist and as a reporter because I'm going to have to be more efficient with things like my time. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that I wasn't or that I wasn't giving it 110% covering the bucks, but it's just different. It's yeah. also exciting too because I, I, I don't think I realized how many of these Patriot fans or Tom Brady fans, which maybe they don't identify with one particular team, but they're just huge Brady fans, similar mm-hmm. to what we've seen in the NBA with players like LeBron James or Kobe Bryant. You know, they, they love that particular fan. And obviously, you know, Kobe, his career with the Lakers is, is just that. It, it was with the Lakers. But with LeBron, you know, you had so many fans following him from team to team. I wasn't so sure how that was going to work out because you also saw LeBron James fans burning jerseys. I didn't know how these Patriots fans and these Tom Brady fans felt about him leaving an organization that he was with for 20 years. So it, it's been really eye-opening to me seeing so many of them you know, following now on Twitter and reaching out and, and taking such an interest in what he's doing here. Um, because, you know, now it's, it's, I'm having to, not only am I having to get up to speed with everything that's gone on in his career up until this point, you try to follow as much as you can, but you know, it's, it's difficult sometimes when you're a beat writer focusing on one team, yeah. but you know, I also feel like I have a sense of responsibility to those folks to give them the lay of the land and the framework of this Bucks team and, and what they're kind of, I guess, up against yeah. by signing this guy. I mean, they have just not had a lot of winning. And I really got to hand it to Brady for the fact that he, and again, I'm not idol worshiping here, but I can certainly give a compliment when it's, when it's due. I got to hand it to him because it takes some guts to do that, right? Like his legacy for the most part has been pristine in the league. He's putting that on the line by coming here. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be, an absolutely fascinating few months when the season opens to see just how everything changes for him and as far as just how, you know, how obviously how the Bucks do, but just as far as the media coverage goes, it's going to be really interesting just to see how that works out. And you mentioned Mike Reese uh, up in New England there. Did you call him after the news and ask for any t- tips or tricks on how to cover Brady? We had some conversations. We text message each other pretty regularly. I haven't asked him for any tips or tricks because honestly, I don't think I need to. I think he wrote the book on it. It's I've just been reading a lot of his stuff and I've, I'm very familiar with his stuff. One of the things about Mike 
and I gotta say, I, I mean this when I say I have the best teammates in the world and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, but you know, you think you go to ESPN and you're around some of these just incredible beat writers. You think that, all right, you know, we're comp- we're competitive in our jobs and things like that. So even though we're not competing against each other, but you know, you, you just, you just don't know how those types of people are going to receive you. And the thing that I found very quickly when I started working here was like, everybody is so team oriented. If you need help with something, you know, you text one of your teammates and they'll get back to you right away. Or if you have a really bad day, like they're there to pick you up and lift you up. And it's like when one person has a win, whether it's breaking a big story or just telling a story that just really just knocks people's socks off, it just blows people away. Like you feel such a great sense of pride for that person. You know, you celebrate their achievements like uh, they're your own. And so, and I've got to say that Mike is one of those teammates that just, he went out of his way very early on when I arrived mm-hmm. and welcomed me with open arms and, and made it known if there is anything that you need, I'm here for you. I've got you. So um, you just really appreciate that, especially when you're starting early on. And that's, that's really something that I try to, to try to do for, you know, some of my other teammates as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, important to have a good support system around you. And it certainly sounds like ESPN has plenty of really great people within it. Definitely. I, I, and even, even up at the top, it was crazy to me. You know, people always talk about the ESPN cafeteria, right? Like that's, that's the place to be when you're up there in Bristol. And I remember my first day on the job, they send us up there for rookie camp and they go and it's, it's a few days worth of orientation and you learn about the company and everything. And I remember being up there and I went up to Adam Schefter who happened to be in the cafeteria. And it was the day that the NFL's Twitter account got hacked. Oh. I went up to him and I asked him, yes, it was, it was, it was the day that it was hacked and they said that Roger Goodell died. And obviously we know Roger Goodell didn't die, but at the time, you know, so I get up to him, I said, you know, can sources confirm that Roger Goodell is alive and well. <laughs> and, um, and he laughed at me and I stuck out my hand and I said, uh, Jenna Lane, nice to meet you. And he says, I know who you are. And like, I almost lost my mind because, you know, Adam is, Adam's the ultimate pro. There's a reason why he, is so successful and why he always has the scoop. And I don't know if I've ever even seen him be wrong on something. I mean, he's, he's got it. And for him to, and I'm just a lowling and I'm, you know, just a, my first day, the fact that he knew who I was. And even since then, you know, we see each other and, you know, I got his information, you know, we message each other back and forth. I've, I've met his, his mom, Shirley, I've met his daughter, Dylan. I think she's absolutely adorable. And she's, I told her, you're, you're coming to steal our jobs one day. Just try not to steal mine uh, because she's very good. That's the thing. Even, even with some of those big wig folks, Diana Rossini is like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, she, was, she was giving me advice even before I took this job. Just the fact that you can have people to turn to, um, not just for, for work-related things and work advice, but, but all kinds of advice. Um, it's just really great to be part of a family like that. Yeah, absolutely. And now I think, you know, your interaction with Schefter begs the question, did you tell him that you took out his trash one time? I don't know if I did, to be <laughs> honest. That's a good question. You know, now I feel like I need to ask that. <laughs> I need to I, I need to ask that. But, I, you know, I did learn when I met his mom, Shirley, and she's the nicest lady. I mean, I, I met her at the, uh, the Pro Bowl this past year. She came down with him and Dylan. She told me something about she made these real, I mean, these must have been some incredible bagels, like New York style bagels, because she used to give them 
to the Broncos when he was covering the Broncos, when he was first really, you know, starting to, to get big and, and, you know, people were really starting to notice him. And, and she was, I guess she, she fed this locker room some bagels. So maybe, I mean, maybe that she needs to get a little more credit for helping him make that climb because ever since then, you know, he's just been getting the scoop and, and maybe that's why I got to know how many bagels is she making for everybody <laughs> in the NFL right now? That's, that's what I want to know. And do I need to start like a cookie baking uh, assembly line so I can get some scoopage? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think you might have to get a little bit more creative if you want to get on Brady's good side of the food. <laughs> That's true. He, you know, I'm a healthy eater too, so I can do that. Okay, there's a connection then. That's an easy personal connection right there. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Yeah, so that's a really going to be a really exciting time for you. But now I'm just going to ask you some broad general questions, maybe a little bit more on the fun side. What is your favorite place to eat in Tampa Bay? My favorite place to eat in Tampa Bay? Um, honestly, it's it's not even like a fancy restaurant. I just like it because it's really quick and I can get in and out and they always have sweet potatoes. And that is, it's a place called fresh kitchen. So it's just one of those places you get in and out kind of like a cafeteria, Mm -hmm. but they have the most amazing sweet potatoes. So I love to go there on my lunch break. And a lot of the Bucks players like it too, because it's, it's healthy food. And for me, I got a lot of dietary restrictions. Um, I have ulcerative colitis, so my, my stomach is very sensitive. I've got I've, I've to eat gluten-free, dairy-free, and I can't have chocolate either. So that place, just about everything on their menu is gluten-free, dairy-free. So it's, um, it's very, very, very helpful, especially when, again, you work in a business where, you know, you're doing things sometimes with a drop of a hat, and you just maybe only have a few minutes to grab something to eat, and you're trying to stuff it down your face really quick. Yeah. That place is really good for that. Yeah, that's, I mean, sweet potato fries and speed are both two very important aspects of any food establishment, in my opinion. So. Not fries, though. These are just roasted sweet potatoes. It's a healthy establishment. Ah, of course. My mistake. My mistake. <laughs> um, so, obviously, Raymond James Stadium has a pirate ship, so that's pretty dope. But other than that, what is your favorite NFL stadium? Oh, gosh. Um, Lambo. Lambo. I was there, and I, <laughs> I – it was a Sunday morning, and, of course – uh, you know, when you, when you play the Packers, usually, well, the team hotel was in Appleton. A lot of people I know stay in Appleton. So it's a little bit of a drive to Green Bay. I wanted to make sure, cause I didn't know what traffic was going to be like. And it was in December and thank God it wasn't snowing outside because you don't want to see me try to drive in snow. I am truly a Floridian at heart. I've driven in snow like one time. It was terrifying. So I, um, it was Sunday morning. I wanted to get there early. Uh, it was the most beautiful day outside and, I I see Lambeau Field in the distance. I don't know if it's Lombardi Way or whatever that is. And I'm like listening to Boys to Men, you know, easy, easy Sunday morning listening. And I, I had to turn down the volume when I see it in the distance because it is like this majestic unicorn that's like staring at me. And I felt like I was being disrespectful by like playing music. So I, uh, I turned it down and I just took it all in and I made sure to get down on the field very, very, very early during pregame. Um, and just take in the atmosphere because I mean, that place is just, it's, it's legendary. And the way that community supports that team and the fact that these fans, I think a lot of them would do it for free. They get there and and I would, if I lived there, I absolutely would shovel snow in Lambeau field for free. I mean, I'm not saying how many layers I'd have to wear and I don't know how long I'd last (laughs) because again, I'm a Floridian, but um, that stadium was incredible. Um, I also got to go to uh, the Seahawks stadium this year, which is great. Uh, the noise level there is 
fans. I mean, they're, they're not kidding around. I've been to Arrowhead. I really liked the fans there. Um, and that was cool too, because that was Justin Houston's first game back. And um, yeah, it was his first game back from, from his, uh, the knee injury that he had. So that was, the fans were really, 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 um, you know, they were, they were pretty excited about that. And also um, Eric Berry, I think it was his first game back too. Oh, wow. So the fans were extra excited. Um, great atmosphere there. It's hard to choose one, but I, I think it's got to be Lambo. Um, but logistically speaking, when it, when it purely comes to, and for me, logistics as a reporter, meaning I know how to get to everywhere I need to be. <laughs> like I don't get lost because I get lost in a lot of these stadiums. It's not like you can use, I don't think you can. It's not like you can use, you know, your, your app on your phone map to try to navigate where, you know, the press room is after the game to try to figure out how to get to the media elevator, you know, to find out where the, the visiting locker room is. You can't use maps for that. So, but I have to say logistically, the Falcon stadium is really nice. Plus they have a small TV in between each and every workstation, which is really, really nice too. Yeah. Can't miss a second. Uh, yeah. That's the best description of Lambo I've ever heard. A unicorn just protruding on the horizon. Oh that was- my God. It's, <laughs> crazy I mean I just wow I can't wait to go back there and it, I, I, every sports fan even if you're not a Packers fan I mean I when I was growing up I would I used to get so annoyed with the kids I get annoyed with the kids that will wear these cheese heads to school so I get it you know there's there's especially like you know with with folks in the NFC North but if you haven't made that trip do it because it's just such a precious part of football history I hope they never yeah. they, they better never tear that place down I mean it needs to it needs to stay. It needs to stay. It's such a it's such a big part of the fabric of the NFL. Yeah, I think the uh, people of Green Bay would burn down the new stadium if they ever tore down Lambeau. That may as well be a historical landmark for all intents and purposes. So I don't think we need to worry about it anytime soon. Hopefully, anyway. Um, what is one thing about this job that you wish you knew back when you were starting out? Don't take yourself so seriously. You absolutely take your work seriously by all means, but you still, even when you're on a deadline, a crazy deadline, and you just want to rip all your hair out and you're so stressed out, which I try not to have too many of those days. And thankfully with careful planning and things like that, and also doing this long enough, you, you kind of have a method to the madness. And so you don't, it's rare when you have those days where you really feel overwhelmed. But I think, when you do have those days where you're like, oh my gosh, I've had like three news stories. I still have a blog post I have to write. I've got a radio hit here and here. I've got a TV hit that I've got to do. You still got to find a way to laugh because you're doing something you're covering sports. And I don't mean in any way to trivialize what we're doing or anything. It's important. It's important that we have high quality work. It's important that we are accurate at all times, but we also so much about sports is an escape for people. And I think, that if you're the one that's delivering them that information, they can sense it if you are stressed out or panicky. Like, you need to relax. And, you know, I mentioned Diana Rossini earlier. I think one of my favorite times I've watched her on SportsCenter was she was wearing high heels, which I'm not going to lie. For me, high heels and stairs is a terrifying combination. Um, I, can- I, I even took a tumble. I even took a tumble outside the Vikings stadium, full disclosure, and it was bad news. I still made <laughs> deadlines for that day, but it was scary. But like she, I think she was like starting to slip in her heels. And so she just took her shoe off on air. And I just, I think that's great. And I think that that's why that's such an endearing quality about her. The fact that she's just not afraid to laugh at herself. And another thing is I really wish I would have reached out to other people 
and ask for help because mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't like to come to people with my hands open, especially if I feel like I have nothing to give back to them. Um, but it's amazing how many people in this profession are willing to help you, whether that be coaches that maybe you don't understand what happened on a particular play. And you're like, oh gosh, I'm going to feel like an idiot asking them this, but I feel like my readers, they don't deserve me to, to play the guessing game. They, they need to know what happened here on this play. And in order for them to know, and for, for, for them to have it explained to them, I've got to be the one to do it. I've got to know it. Um, or, you know, asking people when it comes to people that are in the know, when it comes, you know, when it comes to information and things like that, um, you know, asking people even, hey, do you know a place or, or how I can get a hold of this person? I think for so many years, I tried to do it all on my own, maybe because I just didn't have the confidence or I just thought, well, I don't believe in myself. Why are these people going to believe in me or trust in me? But, you know, that's, that is really important. You need to learn to be able to ask people for help. And as much as I've started to do that, I think I've tried to give back twice as much to where if I have a teammate or even somebody on a different outlet, I've had friends call me up that, that cover the Patriots and that I've asked them questions about Tampa Bay. And I've tried to lead them in the right direction too, for that, because, you know, you want to be the person that you maybe never had. Yeah, that's very well said, I would say. And then what's uh, one thing about your job that other you feel like other people don't know or don't really understand? Um, I think the big thing is, and I try to have these conversations with players about this, but it's very hard in this position to write about something that I haven't done before. Not in the sense that, oh, I don't know things because I try to learn as much as I can. You know, I, I'll call up Dick LeBeau if I have to, you know, if I want to learn some, some zone blitzes and things like that. that. That part I'm not talking about. But in terms of, you know, like I look in the mirror every day and I know, like I could never do what these guys do, right? I could never do what these coaches do. And I remind myself of that. Um, but I still have to be able to write critically about it. And that's hard sure. because you develop especially when you see people every single day, players, coaches, front office members, and you develop solid relationships with them and you really like them as people too, it can be hard having to write critically about them and having to, you know, say, ask questions about, well, why did he run it on, you know, seven straight run plays? Why did he throw in play action here? Or, or when you just say, you know what, this loss, it falls on the coaching staff. It can be hard to do that. Um, but I just, I, I tell people that, and I, again, I try to communicate this a lot with players, with coaches. I try to just communicate those things that, you know, I'm just trying to be as honest as I possibly can. And it's never anything personal, but I also understand that, especially because I take my job personally, because I care about it so much. My job is in many ways, my identity. It's my life. Like I don't have a lot of free time outside of this. So, so much of how I feel about myself, my self-worth, it's tied to my job not something I would necessarily recommend to people because when you have a really bad day it can feel like your whole world's falling apart uh or maybe you, you mess up on something in a story or you mess up on tv you feel like the whole world's against you um mm. but I, I I try to convey to them as much as I can that it's not personal and I'm just trying to be honest and I'm just trying to do my job because again that's that's you owe it to the fans you owe it to the viewers you owe it to your readers to do that um and thankfully the players and the coaches seem to understand that. And I always tell them, I've got an open door policy. So if there's something you don't agree with, come to me, let's talk about it. 
Uh, but sometimes the fans don't always realize that. And, and sometimes you do get attacked because maybe you have a certain view on a player or you wrote something, or even when you present a specific stat or something, they want to pile on you. And then it starts getting into personal attacks and things like that. That can be difficult to take. You really do have to grow some thick skin, I think, to be able to do that. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I think the thick skin is a priority for somebody, especially as you who's on TV and as a journalist uh, for ESPN all the time. It's really, really important. But again, very well said. I think, you know, a lot of aspects of this job that people just see on the screen and then there's tons of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and that's one of the biggest things right there, I would say. And, and I also think, too, um, and I've even showed some players some of the comments that I've gotten on Twitter or the messages that I've gotten, and they're just like, whoa. And a lot of them are, are fathers now, too, and they've got daughters, and, and so some of them get angry about that. Um, or even, you know, I remember I had one incident happen um, – you know, over the summer at, at training camp where I had a fan come up behind me and like touch my hair in a very suggestive way. And it's funny, I had a couple of players and even one of the players' dads come up to me and they were like, where is this guy? Who is this guy? We're coming after him. You know what I mean? So um, it, it's, it's definitely interesting. But the one thing I would say to that effect is that it has given me a little bit of a glimpse of what it's like for these players when they have really bad days, because I could not imagine what it must be like for Blair Walsh, you know, um, Cody Parkey, when they have, like, nobody wants to mess up at their job. Nobody wants to miss, you know, a field goal when a game is on the line. Nobody, nobody wants to, to, you know, have one of those moments. And because I mean, you can only imagine how it feels for them. Like that really must feel like the world is just falling apart for them. And then you look at the messages and these people are getting death threats. Right. Um, if it gives me just a little bit of a glimpse into what those people go through, then I think I'm a better reporter for that because then I have so much more empathy for what the people I'm covering deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's uh, it's a tough life living as a public figure with your face blasted everywhere. And obviously the experience of a professional football player is hard to grasp, but you certainly get an inside look just by doing your job. So it's people are, people can be terrible, <laughs> but Fortunately, seems like uh, seems like everything's working out. The good, I think, definitely outweighs the bad. And and thankfully, when you have, I talked about Twitter, and you can get some some nasty messages on there. But yeah. the majority of the ones I get, ninety five percent are are really um, even meaningful discussions. You know, people are kind, and it's also meaningful discussions. And I don't mind if somebody disagrees with something I put out there, or maybe they even want to point out, maybe I messed up in a story. Maybe I messed up on a stat, which I'm human. That happens. Yeah. I enjoy having that conversation. And, and, and I enjoy, you get a lot of really good ideas for stories because you're finding out what they care about. What do they want to know? What yeah. are people buzzing? What are people talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Twitter is an interesting place, but from that perspective, I never even thought of it like that. I'm sure, yeah, it uh, helps focus down kind of what the people care about the most from just based on what they talk to you about. Yeah, definitely. It, it's amazing um, how many story ideas you can get from people on Twitter or even having conversations with my mom. After games, it does not matter what time it is. She's a diehard football fan. It does not matter what time it is when I'm leaving the stadium she wants to know that I've gotten to my car and it's not just for safety purposes either. She wants to hear what was talked about in the locker room after the game. She mm -hmm. wants the backstory. And I have to remind myself of that because especially when you, uh, in this day and age where we have a lot of P 
people that are now watching games on TV and covering them that way, as opposed to being in the locker room after games on the field, like in the thick of things, you want to make sure that you're giving those little notes to people. You want to make sure that you're telling those stories and not just going where everyone else is going who watched it on TV. So that's, that part of it's really, really helpful. And I got to say too, whenever I've got to get on TV and I've got to, and I've got to report something, I literally envision my mom right there at the camera and that's who I'm talking to and I'm explaining what happened because that's, that's really what it's about. Whether it's telling a story that you're writing or whether it's telling a story on TV, what, what are you doing, right? People a lot of times get that writer's block. It's just tell me what happened. Well, at the very least, I would say this hammers home what we already knew that mothers are the most important people in the world. <laughs> mothers and fathers too we, got, we, we can't leave that out I have sisters too as well heck family family is everything right <laughs> we'll take we'll just do family family works all right jenna family. that'll be it this episode of the podcast thank you so much for coming on giving us really insightful and honest answers it's hard to do that for this kind of thing so i really appreciate it absolutely thank you so much for having me it was really great to talk to you and again hopefully um, especially with what's going on right now. I know that there's some people that are losing jobs, including in the journalism world, or uh, some people are uh, they're looking for jobs and, and there's kind of these hiring freezes going on because of this current situation. But, um, you know, just, just keep, if this is what you really want to do, if this is what your, where your heart's at and what you're really passionate about, don't give up, seriously. Um, there's one quote that I always really like, and this is, maybe it's going to sound cheesy that I'm doing that, but, you know, victory doesn't always go to the stronger, faster man. Sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. Well, I would say that's as good as a piece of advice as any for any young journalists out there. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into this podcast. And thank you once again, Jenna, for joining us. It was a, an incredible conversation. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs>